Minister and the Commissioner, it's a, it's a great pleasure. Uh, it's a rare pleasure uh, to have a Minister from uh, Singapore uh, in town. Now the uh, I recall the uh, negotiations started in uh, in 2010. Uh, that's almost 10 years ago. Um, they've been concluded, uh, finalized, uh, signed in uh, what was it, October uh, 20, uh, 2018. Uh, obviously, the world. Uh, was very different in 2010 uh, when the negotiations started. Uh, although by that time, the EU had already quite a lot of bilateral trade agreements. Singapore had already quite a lot of bilateral agreements, with, including with very important players, with the US, uh, with uh, China, uh, with India, uh, with Japan. So in a sense, the agreement with the EU comes uh, late compared to those uh, earlier agreements. The same thing for the EU. The EU has had agreement with many countries uh, before. So uh, it comes relatively late, but in a very different uh, environment than back in, in 2010. So the question I, I would like to pose to both of you uh, to open our, our discussion uh, is what do you think can be the uh, contribution, or what should be the contribution uh, of this agreement, both to a bilateral relationship, but to this world, which is in flux, including in the, on the trade uh, front. Minister. So we had a bit of a debate beforehand. And, uh... I lost, so I'm the one going first on this. Uh... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But uh, let me start by saying, um, I, I know you've pointed out that it's taken a long time, uh, nearly 10 years since we started. Uh, the first thing I'd say is uh, better late than never, uh, because I think uh, the fact that we have persevered uh, throughout this period is in itself, I think, a testament to our commitment to bilaterally working together and strengthening this partnership. And I think the fact that we are very close to now completing this is a very positive step and we want to move forward in that regard. Its significance, in my opinion, I think there are two, you can look at this in two ways. I think the first, at a broader level, I think this agreement signals the EU's commitment to greater economic cooperation in the world and to promote freer trade, rules-based, but greater engagement across regions and across countries. And I think that is a signal that is important in the current climate, uh, when, in a sense, uh, the signaling that we get around the world tends to be more uh, anti-globalization and against some of these sorts of initiatives. And I think it's important in that context that countries or regions uh, which are like-minded should come together and demonstrate that we have a way forward and a constructive way forward which can be mutually beneficial and have a demonstrative effect for the rest of the world. Uh, the second uh, thing that I think that this, trade, this agreement will bring is the fact that the EU is now prepared to engage our region and more specifically ASEAN more closely. And this is important because there are real and tangible benefits in this partnership because ASEAN is a fast-growing region, 
It's a region that has got significant potential. And much of the growth in ASEAN because of, uh, and I've emphasized this before, uh, with the middle class rising, disposable incomes growing, many of the needs in ASEAN and the market demand in ASEAN play to the strength of the EU and your companies. So I think that is therefore both a tangible uh, value proposition, apart from the larger signal that the EU wants to engage in our region in a more purposeful way. So the EU-Singapore free trade agreement really should be seen in the context of a larger EU-ASEAN agreement, and it should be seen as the first step in that broader engagement between our two regions. And the last point I would make is, I think that this agreement is in particular going to be very important and relevant for small and medium-sized enterprises. Because uh, in general, the larger European companies and Singapore companies, they are already covering different markets in our two regions. But it's for the SMEs in particular that we need to ensure that this agreement, and more importantly, after the agreement, what we do with it, uh, that is going to make a difference. And it will create new possibilities for small and medium enterprises who account for a big part of our economies. And I think that's also going to create new types of opportunities for our people. So that's my take on it in terms of the value proposition of the EU-Singapore FTA. Thank you. Commissioner? Thank you. And thank you for, for inviting us uh, here today. Um, First, I want to say that the reason why it took some time is partly because of Europe. Because, uh, as you know, this agreement was uh, taken to court in order to get the, the view of the European Court of Justice on the issue that all trade nerds know about, mixity or European only. Uh, and that delayed the process, and that was not Singapore's fault at all. So, so that's partly our blame. Uh, that, that, that gave so us a bit better... Yes, it's a mere culpa. Uh, for, for, the, for the late take note, it will not happen often. Um, and, and, and that delayed the process, but it gave us clarity for, for the future. It facilitated the process just afterwards. But, but that's why it dragged on a little bit. But, but looking back, of course, the world looks so much different today than it did in 2010. But the agreement per se, and I just went through it to prepare for our, our meeting as well, is surprisingly modern because it contains elements that, that at that time was already very, very advanced not only taking away the remaining tariffs on, and then services, um, public procurement, and so, but also opening up for cooperation on a wider yes. range yes. of area. For instance, renewable energy, and it is very ambitious when it comes to recognizing standards, which is the thing for, for the future in trade, of course, uh, and, and to, to, to recognize each other's different testing methods and security schemes and so on. And that is really helpful for our companies on both sides. And as you said, especially small and medium-sized companies, because this is a cost for them to do to do double, and this refrains them from, from, from investing. And then, of course, Singapore being the, the hub that, that it is, it is a very important entry port for, for all our engagement in, in the wider region ASEAN, and Singapore having been coordinating the, the work of ASEAN the last 18 months now. Uh, you've played a very important uh, role in, in, that, in that leadership, uh, and that has facilitated also for, for us. So this would be an important stepping stone. We also have an agreement almost uh, done with Vietnam, and that was very much inspired by what we did together. And that, so, so, so the agreement in, in itself is not outdated, I wouldn't say, and it also contains elements on, on sustainable development, on energy, and, and many other issues. Um, 
And also the fact that it has taken so long time has had the good part that we have got getting to know each other. The, the, the teams, the minister, your predecessor, uh, and, and uh, you know, we, we have developed that, that we are actually beyond the trade and investment agreement. We have a lot in common because we do stand up in this world that we're living in today for multilateralism, for rule-based trade, for a trade that is sustainable, mutually beneficial, and we don't believe in trade wars. We think tariffs should be avoided uh, and, and that trade wars should definitely be, be avoided. And therefore, Singapore is a very valued partner um, in, in our work to reform WTO, for instance. We talked about this in, in this very house not long ago, to reform, to, to modernize, to try to see how that, that can work uh, better. Singapore has been one of the leading countries in pushing for uh, the e-commerce initiative in, in WTO, where the EU has been, been very supportive. And we're working now together to get that more specific. So, so the good, I mean, looking back, you have to see the positive things. It has brought us closer as, as partners as well and has, has also given us the possibility to, to spread um, the, the benefits of this to our member states, to our companies, and to, to show them the possibilities. So now when it very shortly enters into force, I, I think we, we are better prepared because mm -hmm. of that. Very good. So um, let's, let's talk a bit about uh, each of the three uh, levels, the bilateral the regional, all of you have spoken about uh, uh, ASEAN, and the global, the WTO, and uh, some of the main challenges that are, that, that are there. Uh, my, my sense is that on the bilateral, um, this is a, a harmonious uh, relationship. Uh, I mean, uh, barriers in uh, Singapore, traditional barriers, are, are very low. Uh, basically, zero tariff. Right? Uh, at least zero tariff in terms of what is implemented. So on the books, there are still some, uh, some tariffs, but there are low tariffs. There are barriers, but Singapore is obviously, uh, as you said, commissioners, is a hub mm. for trade. And so it's an open, uh, open uh, trade and uh, economic, uh, economic uh, regime. Um, Singapore is not an export of agricultural uh, commodities. <laughs> Uh, yes. So we don't yet have geographic indicators. <laughs> That's no, right. it will come. So uh, we're thinking about them now. That's right. <laughs> so, so on, on bilateral yeah, 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 issues, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's very good indeed to reinforce the bilateral relationship. Yeah. But I think, as both of you indicated, that relationship has to be seen in a, in a context. And so let's let's talk a little bit first on the on the regional context, the uh, as, the ASEAN uh, the ASEAN context. Let me first ask you, Commissioner. Uh, this is indeed the first uh, agreement with uh, ASEAN uh, member. Um, there are others in the uh, in the pipeline. Uh, Sometimes it has been a little complicated, also uh, in our process to uh, to move uh, to move forward. Um, what would be uh, what would be your view uh, coming now towards the the end uh, of your of your mandate? Uh, you had a number of successes with uh, with agreement. And this is one of them, and certainly uh, Japan and other. You launched uh, New Zealand, uh, Australia, but on the uh, EU ASEAN mm. relationship, uh, what is your uh, what is your assessment as to you know what? we have achieved in the last five years, and where do you think uh, can the relationship go uh, forward? Mm. 
Well, the ASEAN region is, of course, extremely important for us today. I think there are around 10,000 European companies present in Singapore, and there will be more uh, after this. And many of them, of course, have their interest in Singapore, but also to the wider region. And it, we have been trying to, to invest in, um, in closer relationships on, on many levels, not only trade, but also political, uh, with the, our, our, our friends in the ASEAN region. Problem is, of course, that although we fully support the integration of the ASEAN region and we're trying to, to, to be helpful, and, and this is extremely important, it is quite a heterogeneous region. There are lots of, of differences between the country. So it's, it's not, a, you know, it, it's a unit that is there uh, and that... It, There's never been an EU ASEAN no, trade no, negotiation. No, uh, no. It's a free trade area. No, it's no. not Mercosur. No, it's not. Uh, but, but it could be. I mean, the, the, the clear intention from the European Union, and that has been confirmed also by, by the ASEAN countries, we meet regularly in different summits, that, that this is the long-term aim, that it should be a regional trade agreement between the EU and ASEAN. But because of the diversity of the region and its own strong, and again, I want to, 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 to reiterate how much we support the integration of the region, it will take a little bit of time before you know, we can launch a big uh, region. So we're looking at what could be done, what, what could be, we, we start with, what are the areas, so, so our, our, um, our different uh, units in, in the different countries are in regular contact to, to try to, to see that. And of course, this with Singapore and later, we also have a done and voted agreement, uh, no, not, not voted yet, but, but um, uh, signed agreement with Vietnam that will land in the European Parliament later this fall, I think. Of course, it's not for me to set the agenda, but, but we have sent it to them. Uh, and that is also very ambitious because that's a developing country. Uh, and and that, that builds very much inspiration from what we have done with our Singaporean friends. And we hope that we can take that, that, that further away. So, so I think these are important stepping stones, showing what we can achieve, making modern open, uh, sustainable trade agreements. Uh, and, and this is what we would expect from many of the other countries there as well. Of course, bearing in mind that some of these smaller countries have, of course, uh, not the same economic strength, so, so you can't put them in, in, in the same box. But, but I think it has been uh, a, um, an important development the last years, and I've certainly enjoyed uh, getting to know the, um, the, the other countries of ASEAN. But, but and we have economic regions. Uh, we have some of them are part of the everything but arms, some of, of the JSP um, uh, plus, others we, we I think all countries, we have some sort of relation or ongoing negotiations with bilaterally. Uh, but, but the aim, and I, I really hope that the new commission will, will confirm that, but knowing this is not a, a short, this is not going to happen over weekend, is to have a region-to-region -region agreement. So I turn to you about, uh, about this uh, ASEAN. Uh, the, uh, I think uh, Commissioner said uh, rightly there's a, there's a lot of heterogeneity. Uh, I think, I believe uh, ASEAN Secretariat is in Singapore. No? It's in Jakarta. Okay. Uh, but do you see that, I mean, uh, ASEAN uh, can evolve? Is it, is it, there is an ASEAN free trade uh, agreement, and that's why the EU did not negotiate uh, with ASEAN as an entity, right? Uh, because there are different uh, trade policy of the different partners. Uh, as I said, it's not Mercosur, which is a customs union, or more or less a customs union. Uh, not without complications, but that's not the <laughs> <Okay>. of today. <laughs> Let's uh, leave that aside. Uh, do you think, I mean, is that something that uh, uh, Singapore uh, would favor? Do you think this is something for the next century, or how do you see that? century. Uh, but uh, 
let me start. Uh, ASEAN has got an, what we call the ASEAN Economic Community, AEC, which brings our 10 markets together. And there are disciplines around uh, tariffs, non-tariffs, and other, uh, the usual sort of trade disciplines that we talk about, and they're all there. So uh, it operates as one market in many contexts, but of course there are areas where we are still working to uh, achieve further integration. Secondly, ASEAN already has a strong relationship with several of our partners. Uh, we have uh, strong uh, economic links with the Australians, we have it with the Kiwis, we have it with Japan, Korea, China, and so on. And these take the form of agreements as well. So I would say, first, the form and structure is available for the European Union to articulate into ASEAN, but it will require work to negotiate a deal. And the complication is this. Uh, in the case of all the other partners I talked about, you're dealing with one country, whereas in the context of the EU, you talked about the heterogeneity of ASEAN, where equally you have the heterogeneity of the EU. And that's, I think, probably what will create greater challenges in trying to arrive at a deal. But are there good reasons to explore the opportunity in a very uh, targeted way? I think the answer is resoundingly yes. Why? Because first, I think if you just look at it from, I'm talking about ASEAN now, if you look at it in terms of fundamentals, the, the economy of ASEAN as a whole is growing at five, five odd percent in aggregate. Uh, we think it can actually go higher than that. And one of the reasons for the, the, the constraints, if you like, on growth is infrastructure deficits and so on. But we think that this will sustain because the fundamentals support it. And by 2030, some estimates are that ASEAN as a region may be the fourth largest economy in the world. And beyond that is the fact that urbanization is taking place at a very rapid rate. It is a relatively young population which is adopting technologies quickly. It is also a, a region where the middle class, in terms of its size and its disposable income, is growing. When you put those things together, what you have, therefore, is a region which offers interesting market opportunities. And I think for the European Union and many of your member states, they've historically had ties with our region. But in more recent times, perhaps, uh, that engagement has not been as intense. And I think it's a good opportunity to come back and re-engage in a more purposeful way. So I would say, in summary, the opportunity is clear. And I would say there's also a platform and mechanism for the EU to engage with ASEAN beyond individual member states. But I do think that it will not, we shouldn't underestimate the challenge uh, because of the diversity that exists on both sides. Let's move to, uh, to the global uh, WTO uh, issues. Um, Singapore uh, has been said many times already. Uh, Singapore is a very open uh, economy. Um, Singapore has been certainly, like the EU, uh, a pillar of the rules-based uh, multilateral trading system. Extremely important. It's extremely important for the EU, extremely important for Singapore. 
And uh, I remember in earlier uh, days, uh, already during the GATS, uh, at the time of the uh, Uruguay round, the creation of the WTO, then after that, uh, Singapore uh, uh, discussions, uh, Singapore has contributed in a very important manner uh, to the multilateral rules-based uh, rules system. So let me ask you uh, first, uh, Minister, um, not just what is your worry, I mean, what is everybody's worries is fairly, uh, fairly obvious uh, at the moment. That is what I said, you know, we are in a much more, less benign environment than we were back in, in 2010. Uh, but it's clear that the WTO system um, is undergoing heavy challenges. Uh, there are a number of deadlines looming. Uh, appellate body and uh, other issues. Um, so, again, taking advantage of your presence here uh, in Brussels, uh, in Geneva, you know, one hears the voice uh, of Singapore uh, quite, uh, quite often through its uh, able uh, ambassadors there. Uh, but I think it would be very useful here in Brussels to hear what is the position uh, of Singapore and mostly what is Singapore contributing to uh, maintain, to strengthen, to reform the uh, rules-based uh, multilateral trading system? So first, uh, I think uh, we have been very strong proponents of a rules-based multilateral trading system. Uh, and in some ways, it could be argued that, well, as a small city-state, which is highly reliant on trade, uh, it should be quite obvious. But I think uh, it's not just something that's beneficial to a small city-state. If you look at uh, economic history in the last four or five decades, and certainly in the post-Second World War period, uh, the advent of the Bretton Woods institutions, your IMF, your World Bank, and the Uruguay Round, which is now manifested in institutional form in WTO, all of these have helped to create a global environment, economic environment, which has been stable, allowed countries to engage on issues and have a process to deal with uh, disagreements and so on. And that platform has enabled global growth and allowed you know, more than a billion people to be lifted out of poverty. I think this is not something that's happened by accident. It's precisely because of the stability and certainty that an institutional structure like this affords that it, it, we have been able to do a lot of the things. Now, not without its hiccups, but in general, that's been a tool. Uh, the WTO is not a perfect institution. It has its uh, warts. But I think the, the question really is, are we better off discarding it or working with what we have and improving it and strengthening it? And we are firmly in the second camp. We think that we have an institution. We need to ensure that it stays relevant. And we need to strengthen it where we think that there are some shortcomings, whilst we also look at new areas of work. So I think you've talked about some, you know, that there are deadlines looming, and you know, whether it's about the appellate body system, which is critical. Because uh, you know, Singapore hosted the 1996 WTO ministerial meeting. And as a little aside, uh, we, de we designed a logo for the event. And 
many elements of that logo were incorporated into the WTO's logo itself, which we are very happy about. Uh, and there's no IP, by the way, we, we gave it. <laughs> so, but my point is, we, t we felt we have a certain uh, deep affinity for the WTO's work, and I think the dispute settlement mechanism is an important part of it in the appellate body because that tells everybody, all the member states, that there's a way to deal with the issues. But I think the WTO should also be looking at uh, staying relevant and setting a modern fit-for-purpose agenda, which is why we sponsored the, the joint statement initiative together with Japan and Australia, and the EU was one of the early supporters, and many others have come on board. Uh, and this is really to address issues around e-commerce. But let's, let's be very frank about this. This is the year 2019, and we are talking about e-commerce for the first time in the context of the WTO. So I, I think there's work to be done. We do need to modernize it. We do need to set a more progressive and fit-for-purpose agenda. But having said that, I think it's an institution that we can work with and strengthen, and we are firmly in support of uh, ensuring that the multilateral system uh, remains strong, complemented by bilateral regional initiatives, which can help to push the boundaries, if you will, in a WTO consistent way, but try and break new ground, which then has a very good demonstrative effect for the WTO, and many of these disciplines can then eventually gravitate into the multilateral system. Very good. There's a lot of work to uh, to be done um, on this uh, on this front, and I think uh, indeed I think many uh, many see Singapore. I certainly do. With Marine, see Singapore as a, having a as a small city state, uh, as you said, but it's it's a big voice uh, in uh, in international trade. It's not by accident that indeed uh, there was the WTO meeting in uh, in uh, in Singapore. In the uh, in the mid uh, the mid 90s, so I think it's a recognition of the uh, importance uh, of Singapore in uh, in global trade and of its uh, of its contribution. So I think everybody looking forward to you know what documents also um, not just sort of moral support but uh, you know concrete uh, elements that Singapore uh, is and uh, hopefully will be uh, putting forward. To try to uh, to deal with those uh, those challenges. I mean, it's clear that the WTO is a very large body. I mean, talked about heterogeneity, heterogeneity within the EU, heterogeneity within uh, ASEAN. Uh, you know, it's, that's one thing. Talk about heterogeneity at the uh, at the WTO among the what 165 plus uh, members. Uh, this is certainly uh, a, a challenge. So. You know, I think we all look forward to that. Let me turn to, to you, uh, Commissioner. We have had uh, on quite a few occasions at Bruegel the, the occasion to, to discuss, um, fortunately and unfortunately, uh, some of those very, very difficult issues that have come up in the recent uh, months uh, about the challenges to, 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 the, uh, to the system. And again, let me ask you something that uh, I think in the natural question, I would think. Uh, again, your, your term is, is coming to, uh, to an end. Uh, yesterday, uh, the new uh, trade commissioner has been nominated. Uh, so now we know uh, who uh, your successor 
will be is already a colleague uh, of yours. So you have lots of occasion uh, and a friend. So you have lots of occasion, obviously, to to talk to him. And and after all, you have negotiated uh, side by side, uh, even dealing with agriculture, uh, as it is the case usually in the the EU. But uh, besides all the conversations you have had with him and you continue to have, uh, let me ask you uh, the, uh, the sort of natural, uh, natural question is, you know, about the main messages. Uh, if you can share uh, <laughs> some of the main messages that uh, you are giving to him, as um, what you think uh, is priority. We at Bruegel we uh, wrote uh, memos to all of the EU commissioner, including a memo to the incoming. Trade Commissioner, as we did five years ago, yeah, uh, we had written uh, already memo uh, a memo then. So we have put forward uh, all priorities. Uh, but what can you share with us as to uh, what messages you are giving him about the priorities for the coming months and coming five years from the EU side? Well, obviously, Phil Hogan is in in a process right now to formulate his priorities uh, in light of the hearings in the European Parliament later this month or or in October. Uh, So, so, um, I mean, that that is his job to be done. But we have been working closely in many areas related to trade, especially in the agricultural sector, of course. So he's very familiar to the post and he knows uh, the issues. But I would start where, where... uh, where you finished on, on WTO, obviously this is something where, where the Trade Commissioner has to be very, very active to make sure that we, we maintain WTO, that we continue to reform, that we, both on the daily work of the organization, but also grabbing the, the new possibilities, e-commerce, and I agree with you, it's 10 years too late, but better <laughs> late uh, than never, and if we can get some, some global disciplines there, it would be really good. Uh, and there are other items where we have started already to negotiate with, uh, with the US and, and, um, uh, and Japan, for instance, on, on issues related to industrial subsidies, uh, to, to forced technology transfer, and so on. Some of these things are, are related to China, where we think that China could do more, as they have been great beneficent of, of joining the WTO, but they have not really lived up to, to the promises made at, at that point uh, as well. So, so reforming uh, the, the WTO, um, strengthening it, modernizing it, making sure that it is still relevant while, of course, continuing with the bilateral and and, and regional agreements, making sure that they enter into force, those who are into force, making sure that once they have entered into force that they are implemented in, in a good way. Uh, that, that is an important uh, task. And then we have a difficult situation to, to, to manage and that, that I, I is not, um, I mean, it's totally unavoidable, of course, to try to, to, to manage the, the, um, the, the, the global situation where our, our relation with, with uh, our friends in the US have complications. Uh, It's tense, and uh, we need to make sure that we continue to de-escalate the situation, find maybe a limited but still very meaningful agenda where we continue to to show that trade and and cooperation is better than than tariffs and conflict. Uh, And, of course, we need to continue to put pressure on on, on China to take a greater role to to reform and to contribute to to strengthen the, the multilateral system. Um, and then there's a whole agenda of ongoing negotiations and, and negotiations 
applications that are finished but need to be processed through Parliament and, and Council and so on, but I th I'm, I'm sure he, he has uh, the list. So, so um, these are a few of the obvious issues and then if he has any other specific, I'm sure he'll be happy to come here and, and present them to you once he's confirmed by, by the Parliament. I hope so too. Thank you. Mm. Uh, let me ask before opening uh, questions to the, to the floor, uh, let me ask the minister uh, one last question from, from my side, uh, at this stage at least. It's about uh, China-US. Um, again, you have, uh, you have free trade agreements with, uh, with China, uh, with the US. There are not uh, many countries, uh, not many WTO members uh, that have free trade agreement with China and the US. Uh, there's a, there's a handful, if that. Uh, so you're one of those. And absolutely, absolutely. And uh, yes. me too. I think that's that's very important. <laughs> but to, on the on the US uh, on the US China for I mean for that reason because you have those uh, this agree those agreements uh, because uh, indeed those agreements are related to the fact that you are such an open and trade-dependent economy, uh, the matters uh, about the trade conflict between, uh, if it is indeed a trade conflict, between the US and China is, is of high importance to you, uh, both to you and for the, for, for, for the system. So let me ask you a difficult question perhaps, but uh, where do you see this uh, bilateral uh, dispute? between the US and China uh, going? Uh, they've been, uh, it's just it's an easy, easy question. Um, you know, there's been uh, talks and then uh, talks broken, there've been tariffs, there's been retaliation. Uh, what, uh, you know, where, where do you see uh, things going from your, from your vantage point? So I left my crystal ball at home, but uh, let me uh, just try and I think the first point is, uh, I think these are the two largest economies in the world uh, in their own right as countries. And almost every country in the world has got a sort of important relationship, economic relationship with both of them. If I use Singapore as an example, uh, the US is cumulatively the largest investor in our country. And we have a substantial trading account with them. And China is, uh, as a country, is our largest trading partner as a country. And in terms of investments, uh, it's the largest investment destination for Singapore. So both countries are important to us from an economic point of view. So I think, uh, you know, when, when, when the two have tensions of the nature we are now seeing, it has an inevitable impact on global sentiments for consumers and investors. And it has the potential to also not just fragment the economy, but also fracture the supply chains. And that's something that we are concerned about. Um, I really, you know, obviously no one can really predict uh, where this is going to end. But one, uh, one thing that we should think about is, I think these two countries have a level of interdependence economically uh, that perhaps we have not seen in other tensions in the past. The, the integration and all the reliance is quite significant. And that hopefully will act as a, a mitigating factor uh, 
and help to sort of uh, act as a kind of restraint uh, in going over the precipice of this. Uh, one could argue that, you know, even with tariffs and so on, you can continue to uh, do business. It just changes the cost of doing business. But it's more serious if the, it transforms into, some, you know, into more deep divisions. The part that we should be concerned about, in my view, uh, thinking a longer view, is uh, if the technology ecosystems in the world bifurcate. Um, in other words, uh, today, uh, Chinese tech companies have got certain cooperations or certain things that they rely on in American tech companies for, and vice versa. And in a way, you're therefore able to optimize on a global basis, uh, you know, relying on different capabilities to come together. Now, if the basis for that, which is trust, uh, if that is not sustained, then a bifurcation of the technology ecosystem is something that we should be concerned about because it's a possibility. And we therefore need to ensure that the trust deficit that is causing some of these uncertainties is addressed in a systematic way. Now, ultimately, it's a bilateral matter, but I think to the extent that third parties who are interested and friendly can contribute, I think it's something we should do our best to facilitate. Thank you. So uh, let's, uh, we have about 15, uh, 15 minutes. Uh, let's open the floor for questions, not comments, but uh, questions. And uh, I'll take a, a few, you know, I'll bunch them together. I'll take a few uh, questions. Yes, please. Uh, thank you, Mr. I'd ask the Minister about his. I'd like to ask the Minister about uh, dispute settlement in the WTO. Uh, first of all, does he have any thoughts or solution to the imminent problem on the appellate body? But secondly, I was looking at the, the Singapore's participation, and it is a major participant in dispute settlements, but never as a complainant, except for never as a complainant, except for the very first one, which it actually settled. And I can't believe that Singapore doesn't have problems in its exports to third countries, particularly knowing it's free trade. And I'd be interested whether this isn't a particular policy. Uh, this, this is now we're now talking of a period of, of what twenty years and uh, of more, uh, uh, and never, never to bring a complaint. Thank you. So you're complaining that we haven't complained? <laughs> I just wanted to be clear, that's all. Okay. We're a contradictory town, Minister. Uh, <laughs> uh, Islam from Friends of Europe, thank you very much for your insights. I still have a feeling that when we talk about reforming the multilateral trading system, we're tinkering at the edges and we're not really being, I may say so, at least in this town, elsewhere in Europe, ambitious and visionary enough. And I was just wondering, uh, Commissioner and Minister, two things that intrigue me. One, um, is it time now for the EU to join the TPP-11? Uh, wouldn't that engage us more in the Asian uh, paradigm, trade paradigm? And, uh, Minister, your opinion too. And, and secondly, your uh, EU, we're negotiating with Australia, New Zealand, and hopefully with ASEAN. And I was just wondering, since these countries, these uh, entities all have FTAs with each other, isn't also something that we could envisage is actually joining that uh, movement that flow between these uh, Australia, New Zealand, and ASEAN, just to go beyond the bilateral and to make it more regional. Thank you. Just you can give the microphone just behind you. Thanks. Hello. Thank you very much, uh, Jana Dreyer from uh, Borderlex. I have a question to uh, Minister Iswaran. Um, uh, 
bit more prosaic, back to the free trade agreement itself. Um, this agreement is very old. I was wondering if you could articulate for us what is the business proposition of this agreement for Singapore. Where will be, you know, where do you, Singapore, see the trade growth with Europe after this agreement comes into force? And then uh, another question, how do you see longer term uh, the relationship uh, with you post, uh, once the agreement is in force, given the departure of the UK from the EU, how do you see uh, the value of this agreement uh, and also how do you see that you, you know, Singapore EU27 relationship going forward? Thank you. And one question here in front. That's sort of stealthy way of bringing in Brexit into the conversation. Yeah, I told you it would come. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this is Antonio Milan from the Spanish Perm Rep. Uh, Mr. Minister, uh, let, us, let us focus on connectivity. How do you see um, the um, natural blend, if there is any, between the um, European strategy for um, connectivity between Europe and Asia and your own design 2025 and your master plan for connectivity? Um, what is there to expect? Um, connectivity in context of connectivity in the overall greater all-encompassing context um, that obviously includes digital, physical. Okay. Uh, yes, I'll take one more question for this round. At the back. Max Michelet with Politico. Um, to the Commissioner, since we've been talking about trade with the wider ASEAN region, um, the EU has halted trade talks with Bangkok following the coup d'etat. Is the Commission considering to reopen negotiations now that elections took place earlier this year, um, despite some concerns remaining on how democratic the elections have really been? Okay, so there are questions for, yeah. for both of you. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. I think there are two more directed to me. Yes. Okay. Um, so let me start with, I think, the question about the value proposition of the FTA and what we see. And I think it segs into, I think, the other questions around what else in the future and connectivity. Uh, first, I think the value proposition, like any FTA, there are provisions for tariffs. There are provisions for standards and how we can uh, mutually recognize and adopt standards. Uh, there are other provisions which will facilitate trade in a more seamless way. And all of these are tangible benefits for businesses in terms of saving on costs, on costs and procedures and so on. And so in and of itself, I think that is a very valuable uh, benefit to be had. And we shouldn't look askance at that you know, in its own right. However, uh, I think, and, and I think what it will do is signal the linkages and it will promote even deeper uh, trade and economic uh, activity between the two countries. For example, we already know that uh, in the Singapore context, from, from Germany, from France, from uh, Italy, and so on, we already have uh, large contingents of companies who come to Singapore and through Singapore uh, work, do work in the region as well. And I think uh, this will gather even more pace as ASEAN grows and when this FTA comes into force because it will, I think, command a greater mind share. But I think we shouldn't stop here. And that, that's where I think the future and the point about connectivity is important. You see, uh, the observation about the FTA that, you know, it's been a long time and is it still relevant? It's absolutely relevant, but it's dealing with 
the flow of goods, the flow of services, the flow of capital, uh, the kind of things that FTAs have always dealt with. I think what we do need to think about is the flow of data, the flow of bits and bytes, and how we can connect our regions in that regard. Every business today is thinking about its digital strategy. We need to have that reflected in the way economies, countries, regions are engaging. Because in many ways, that creates the enabling environment, just we do, as we do with trading goods and services and so on. That creates the enabling environment. And therefore, we do need to think about digital agreements, digital collaborations. And what does that entail? Well, it entails uh, movement of data predicated on uh, you know, recognize, mutually recognized confidentiality, personal confidentiality agreements like your GDPR or whatever and so on. Um, but it also pertains to things like uh, cross-border e-payment solutions. It pertains to, I've talked about, uh, you know, e-invoicing that's based on, uh, uh, you know, blockchain or other distributed ledger technologies. Because if you think in terms of the movement of a good from a source in Europe and going to a market in Asia, it needs to go through so many steps. There's so many documents being generated with the shippers, with the logistics service provider, with the, with the banks on one side, and then you have to replicate everything on this side. And now imagine if you can do this in an electronic way that is trusted, it's seamless. So I think we need to start thinking about these things now and not, not just be, you know, not think that we've arrived because we have an FTA. Uh, because actually this is the next thing. So in Singapore's context, we are uh, looking at this. We're working on some initiatives. We call them digital economy agreements with, uh, and we're looking at it with uh, Kiwis and uh, uh, Chile, uh, Chile, and we're also looking at uh, something with the Australians. But we'd be very happy uh, to advance the conversation in a similar way with the EU and uh, other partners who are keen to work together. So that's just as a point on connectivity and the point about thinking about the future. Uh, I think there was a question about uh, dispute settlement and why we haven't. I think, you know, uh, it's a little bit like this, you know, if you, in the business world, you know, yes, you have courts, you've got, you can settle your disputes in court, you can dispute, settle your, it's good to know that the courts are there, but it doesn't mean you always have to go to the court. You can also go to arbitration. It's good to know that the arbitration is there, but sometimes you can settle things bilaterally just by having a a good, honest conversation. And so we, we are quite happy, you know, to use all uh, options available in the spectrum. Uh, and we found that, uh, you know, we have not had reason to go. But it doesn't mean that we won't. I think if, if there is a need, we are quite happy to exercise our rights. And we have, as you've observed. But it doesn't mean that we need to do it all the time because we have found that very often if you have a... Uh, you know, you can find other channels to resolve the problems as well. Thank you. On, uh, on the WTO reform that we're not ambitious enough, well, yes and, and no. Uh, of course, uh, this is an organization that, that if we created it today, we would start differently. But it's 164 members and it's based on unanimity and a lot of economic differences and, and we need to make sure that, that, that the least developed countries are on board and that they feel that this organization is for them. So going away 10 rich countries reforming and doing something 
could maybe be done, but it would not get the, the support of the other, the, the other member states. So what we are trying to do, and, and the EU has really, I mean, been one of the, the driving forces here and, and with, the, with the kind support and input and, 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 and good hard work of, of Singapore and others, to make proposals, both when it comes to transparency and notification, also supporting new initiatives, working with, as I said, on, with the US and Japan on, on, uh, on also writing uh, new rules um, and trying to see uh, even if we have failed so far to, to reform the appellate body uh, because of, of not being able to engage with the US on a, on a reform process here yet, but also come with other proposals. So, so we, we try to be uh, ambitious, but also mindful of the limitation that, that such an organization, of course, uh, it puts there. And, and that's the whole purpose of it. We need to, to work together uh, in, in that, that organization. Joining TPP, that's an interesting question. I have, I have received it uh, before. And, and I agree with you that politically that will send a very powerful signal, of course, if the EU joined TPP. And we're very happy that TPP continued after the US backing off, even if they might join in the future, but, but that, that you have it there. But we looked at this and discussed with member states because, of course, the, the political declaration would be one thing, but looking at it, we actually have trade agreements with all the countries of TPP or in the process of, of agreeing. And individually, they are more ambitious than on TPP uh, when it comes to, to go, which is all, also natural because, because you know, in, in, in bilateral, it's, it's easier to do that. So it would actually not bring any economic benefits. It would rather be, be limiting uh, us. So, so member states, and we had a discussion on this informally uh, because it was not a formal proposal, uh, have not uh, seen that that is, is a, a way forward. But I mean, Mercosur is a regional agreement and, and if, in, in maybe not tomorrow, but, but on a slightly longer perspective, we can get one with EU and ASEAN. I think that would be, would be a, a good thing. On your question on Thailand, is she still there? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. I, sorry, I couldn't see you. Um, actually, I mean, the, the, the suspension of this was decided by, by, by the council. Uh, and since then, we've had technical discussions with, uh, with Thailand, but we have not resumed uh, any negotiations. And that we haven't heard anything, any other signal from the council that this uh, should change. So at least it will not happen during my remaining uh, six weeks uh, to, to resume negotiations with them. That will have to be a discussion maybe taken uh, in the future. Very well. Uh, I think we can take one or two uh, more questions. Question at the back there. Uh, there's a microphone coming. Philip, Philip Blankensop of Reuters. Um, it was interesting your comments about TPP, uh, Commissioner. You were saying that um, it maybe wouldn't make sense to join TPP because you're having, uh, you either have agreements or engaged in talks for agreements with um, individual countries. Wouldn't the same apply to an EU-ASEAN deal in the sense that you, you know, it might be a kind of lesser common, you know, a lesser deal if you have a kind of EU ASEAN. But obviously, you know, you're both talking about it as a potential goal, and also just because obviously there's been a lot of talk about the WTO. Is there really any sense of what might make America change its mind with regard to the appellate body? And then the last question, there at the back, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ulrich Völker, European Commission. In the same context of the appellate body, Minister, you mentioned that always in dispute settlement there are options. 
Now, with the likelihood that the appellate body will not be functional anymore in December, and maybe including for pending disputes, what is your attitude towards the idea of the so-called interim solution to create a kind of a, well, if you wish, a clone of the appellate body, while the real appellate body is not uh, functioning, uh, using the arbitration clause in the dispute settlement understanding? Okay, so uh, yeah. two questions about the appellate body, one about the ASEAN. Yes. Uh, let's let's okay. end with those, those two questions. Yes, uh, on, the, on the appellate body, uh, which is a very worrying issue because if nothing happens, uh, it will cease to, to exist in its current form mid-December. Uh, mid and that means that we, we have rules. Uh, but many countries not being as Singapore trying to, to settle them, they cannot be enforced in that second level. And, and that, that is really unfortunate. We have tried uh, for a long time to try to listen to the American criticism. Some of it is valid. It's not a perfect body. Uh, and we have tried to, to see can, can we reform it slightly while maintaining its integrity and making sure that it, its status as a second level in the dispute uh, settlement mechanism is, is still there. Um, and, and going quite quite uh, far forward there and trying to, to gather support for, for this. We have not been able to, uh, to enter into any negotiations with the US on that. They remain very critical to the whole body and has not uh, seen our amendments as something that would, would um, make things uh, move forward, which is, which is very unfortunate. So uh, if nothing happens uh, as it is, we... Um, it will cease uh, to, to exist for now, at least. Um, we have, in the meantime, we made this summer an agreement with Canada to copy or mirror the, the appellate body in a bilateral agreement with us, uh, between us. Um, also will be based on, on working with the Secretariat of, of WTO in order to give and this is an ad hoc solution, of course, in order to give uh, our companies uh, security in case of, uh, of, uh, of conflict. And we would be happy to do so with, with other members uh, as well. But uh, no, um, I don't see any opening from, from the part of the US right here uh, for, for the moment. On TPP and ASEAN, I don't think it's exactly the, 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 the same thing. Uh, and this is, I mean, you, you know very well when, when you enter into negotiations, this is based on, on thorough discussions within the member states and they give us a, a, a mandate. Uh, with the ASEAN, we have not started negotiating yet, but we have said clearly a political will that we would want to, to work towards a region-to-region -region, uh, agreement there, um, which will, you know, maybe be not as, it cannot be as ambitious as the one we have with, with Singapore, but it could discipline in a few fields and be some kind of umbrella agreement in, in certain fields, possibly in, in the future. But with the TPP countries, where we have very advanced agreements with many countries, such as, as Japan and Canada, uh, with Mexico, with Singapore uh, and others, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't add any, any, any economic value to, to our trade because it doesn't go, it's below what we have reached with them. It would send a powerful economic, political signal, I agree with that, but not enough to, to sort of dismantle what we already have with, with these important partners. So I'll just add to Cecilia's point on, um, I think, on the appellate body. I think we, as I said earlier, clearly... Um, the dispute settlement process and the appellate body, which anchors much of it, is a very important part of the WTO and the value it brings to our global uh, trading system. So I would say uh, we need to make 
a Herculean effort to try and make sure it sustains and it continues to work. But uh, if it were not to happen, then I think we then need to embark on looking at alternatives and what can at least provide some uh, uh, interim or transitional solutions. Uh, but I don't think we should give up hope so quickly, and I think we should persevere, uh, but always you know, be prepared and have contingencies in play. Yes, there is a process ongoing in Geneva led mm -hmm. by, by a very able New Zealand ambassador, Mr. Walker. Uh, and of course, we are contributing until the very last moment to see if there's any way to. So I agree with you, we should be, be optimistic, but and, uh, uh, pessimistic. History, <laughs> and in the history of trade agreements, normally uh, the most work gets done in the last few hours. <laughs> <laughs> So we have to bring this to a, to a close. Uh, I want to thank you both. Uh, I want to thank you, Minister, for taking the time of your very busy uh, schedule here in, uh, in Brussels. It was uh, very enjoyable to have you and to hear the, the perspective from, uh, from Singapore on those bilateral, regional and, uh, and multilateral uh, trade relationship. I want to thank you, Commissioner Cecilia, for uh, once again giving us the pleasure to be here, and I look forward to continue our relationship. I hope so. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much.